Amen. Let's turn in our Bibles this evening to Ephesians chapter 4. And uh, just before we read the primary text that we're going to take tonight for our, our study about walking with God, I want to bring you up to speed with where we've been and where we've come to this evening. We started on Sunday morning talking about the need for regeneration And it's imperative to have a walk with God, to have a relationship with God. Every person must be born again. So without the new birth, everything that we've talked about this week is really of no value if you don't have a real relationship with God starting with the new birth. We talked on Sunday evening about the fact that God is a God who reveals himself to us. And that is a tremendous privilege for us. And it's a point for us to to dwell upon when we worship God is to meditate on the fact that God does not have to reveal himself. He does not need us, but he has taken the time and he's made the effort to reveal himself to us as he truly is for the purpose of calling us to relationship with him. Then we talked about the fact that because God is the one who initiates in this relationship, he is the one who reaches out to us We're reminded that we have a responsibility to respond to him. And we talked on Monday night about the response of repentance as we see who God is and who we are in contrast to him. As we see our failings in his word as believers, there's a need for repentance, for renewal in our uh, our walk with God, coming to a place where we recognize our sin and we cooperate with God in the change process. Then... Tuesday night, we talked about the need for obedience, the response of obedience. As we find and discover God's will and we realize the commands that God has given to us, we want to comply with those commands. We want to walk in obedience to the Lord. He's deserving of that kind of response of obedience. Then we spoke on Wednesday night about the response of prayer and how, uh, and we really spent time mostly talking about those. Uh, those instant prayers through the day as we talk to God about the things that we're observing going on around us, as we talk to him about the events of our day, including him in our life by praying without ceasing. And God wants us to respond to him as we see his, his hand and as we sense need uh, for him to be present in our life. Then last night, we talked a little bit about the importance of having a personal daily time with God. And I gave you, hopefully, some helpful thoughts about that. Hopefully, that provoked your thinking. Of course, there's more that could be said about developing a personal walk with God than what we said last night, but I hope that it's a good place to provoke your thinking and to cause you to resolve in your heart to grow. And I hope that you've spent some time meditating on the questions that I left you with last night and evaluating your walk with God your personal daily time? What are the things that you could improve? Where could you grow in those areas? Now we come tonight to Ephesians chapter 4, and up to this point, we've really been talking about the way that we, each of us, personally or individually walks with God. And each one of us has an individual responsibility to develop a close walk with God, to fellowship with Him. But if we're not careful... And especially in the individualistic society and culture in which we live, we can start to get the idea that my personal walk with God is just about me. It's about me and God and no one else, and nobody else has anything to do with it. It's just me and God, and as long as me and God are good, then everything is wonderful and there's no problem. 
But in the New Testament, it's very clear that all believers, all of those who have a real relationship with God, are called by God to live in community with other believers. That is, to walk with others as we walk with God. So tonight, what we want to talk about is the importance of the assembly, the importance of the New Testament church as it pertains to each one of our personal walk with God. What we're going to find tonight is that being part of a New Testament church is a critical component to truly walking with God. None of us is called to walk alone. Or to put it another way, none of us is called to be the Lone Ranger. And we like to say that, the Lone Ranger, but even the Lone Ranger had Tonto. Isn't that true? You know, the truth is, we need each other. And we need each other for our own personal walk with God. So tonight, direct your attention, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 4, I think one of the best passages that deals with the importance of the New Testament church for each one of our individual personal spiritual growth. We're going to start reading in verse 11, and we'll read down to verse 16. The scripture says this, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Let's take just a few moments tonight And let's think about the importance of walking in fellowship with one another. In fact, I want to go so far tonight as to say that it is quite impossible for your walk with God to be right or to be what it ought to be if you are not walking in fellowship with other believers. So if there's a problem in fellowship with other believers that also means there is a problem in the relationship with God. It's not possible for us, in other words, to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind unless we are also loving our neighbor as ourselves. The two go together, and Jesus made that quite clear. So it's important for us to make sure that we are understanding this concept of fellowship with other believers, what it is, and why it is so important to our individual, personal walk with God. Now, I want you to think with me for just a minute about the benefits of fellowship. And when I speak about fellowship, I want to say real quickly, just by way of definition of terms, because there's a little bit of confusion about this. Fellowship, as it is referred to in the scriptures, is not just 
people hanging out and having a nice time and eating something together. Although that's generally what we think of when we think of fellowship. In fact, we even call it that sometimes. We say, we're going to have a fellowship on Sunday night. And what we mean by that is, we're going to have food, and we hope that you'll stay and partake of the food, and hopefully there will be some biblical fellowship that will also go along with that. But scripturally speaking, biblical fellowship sometimes involved food. All right, Uh, Jesus, when he met with the disciples on the road to Emmaus, they sat down to share a meal. That was where their eyes were opened and they realized that it was Jesus. Jesus would frequently fellowship around food with his, with his disciples, but it's not the food that is the important component. It's actually the spiritual sharing that is taking place. So when we talk about fellowship, we're really talking about the sharing of the, of spiritual truth with one another. The, the, in other words, the sharing of the walk with God that I am experiencing, you sharing the walk with God that you are experiencing, and we're rejoicing together and challenging one another in what God is doing. What are the benefits of fellowship? What are the benefits of being a part of a New Testament assembly? Well, first of all, we find, and I'm just going to point these out kind of quickly tonight for the sake of time, but we find in verse 11 that this fellowship, and, and he's describing in verses 11 through 16 what takes place in a New Testament church or what should take place in a New Testament church. And notice in verse 11, he says this, and he gave some. Now the he that is giving is God. God is giving a gift. And I want you to understand tonight that fellowship is a gift from God. When you're a part of a New Testament assembly, when you're a part of a church body and there is fellowship that is taking place, and of course these gifts that are mentioned are gifts that are given to the New Testament church for the purpose of instruction and edification and exhortation, the pastor, teacher, uh, these that are mentioned here in this passage. So fellowship is a gift from God. I don't know if we fully appreciate this. If you're a part of a sound New Testament church, you tend to think there's sound New Testament churches everywhere. You could just go anywhere and and surely you would be able to find a church just like the one that you were in. But the truth is that that is not necessarily the case. And sometimes it's challenging to find a place where there's real fellowship that's going on, where there is where there is sound teaching from the scripture. So understand that if you're a part of, and I, and I think God's been good to us here, we're not the only New Testament church in the whole world, but I'm thankful that God's given us what I believe is a true New Testament assembly. Amen. And if you're a part of this assembly, understand this is a gift to you from God. This is a blessing for your spiritual life. This is a benefit to you to be a part of a true assembly. I've talked to people before from other parts of the world, even other parts of our country, and where they are at, where they are living, there just is not a a sound church for them to be a part of. And they long for that, and they desire that, but they don't have that privilege. And sometimes when we have something, we don't always appreciate it for what it is. And so tonight, let's point out that it really is a blessing from God, a gift from God to be a part of a New Testament assembly. 
the resources, the spiritual gifting, all the blessings that are a part of this assembly that are provided here in this church are a gift from God, and we should value that gift. Second of all, the benefit of fellowship, not only is it a gift from God, but fellowship is designed by God to provide for our spiritual maturing. God is intending within the assembly to provide for our spiritual maturing. Notice in verse 12, the phrase that I'm going to refer to is in the first part of the verse where he says, for the perfecting of the saints. And that word perfecting speaks about the maturing. It means to come to age. It has the idea of coming to a place of completion or of fullness. And God's intention is for us within the assembly to mature, uh, specifically to mature into the image of Jesus Christ. And that's the, the third thought, and I'll just throw this out there and then talk about both of these together. Being a part of a New Testament assembly helps us to become like Jesus Christ. Amen. He goes on in verse 13, and he says, "...till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man." That doesn't necessarily mean without sin, although we know that ultimately that's where God is taking us once we get into his presence. But God is maturing us into the image of Christ unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So he's steadily working in our life, like we talked about Monday night when we dealt with the response of repentance. He's steadily working in our life. He's fully committed to this task of making us like Jesus. And one of the tools that he uses is the New Testament assembly. Now, think about this. We have a tendency, every one of us, to think, well, if I have God and I have the Bible, and I have the Spirit of God, then what more do I need? Now, it's true that we believe in the sufficiency of Scripture, and we believe in the sufficiency of the Spirit of God who dwells within. But I don't want you to sell short this truth because God makes it abundantly clear that it is His purpose and His plan for every believer to be a part of a New Testament assembly where they can mature into the image of Christ. Amen. It is within that assembly that God is going to use the Word of God and the Spirit of God is going to be able to drive home the truths of Scripture and this is where spiritual maturing is going to take place. It is not really possible for us to mature properly apart from the assembly. Can I say that again? I'm going to. It is not possible for us to mature properly as a believer apart from the assembly. Now, the goal is to be like Jesus Christ. It's very interesting that Jesus, in his earthly ministry, came to this earth and he assembled a group of believers, and we would say he put together the first New Testament church. He was the one who brought them together, who called them to follow him. And if you take the time to study those individuals that he drew together and that made up that first New Testament church, 
you would find that they were pretty different from each other. They didn't see eye to eye about a lot of things. For instance, we have a guy in there whose name was Simon the Zealot. Now, the Zealots, they were very zealous for the nation of Israel to be free from Rome. Right in the midst of that group of disciples with Simon the Zealot, you have another fellow whose name was Matthew or Levi, and he was a tax collector. He worked for the Romans. Now, you think of two guys that looked at the world a little bit differently. I'm guessing that those two men had some different political views. I'm guessing that they looked a little bit differently at Roman occupation and the future of the Israelite nation. And it's interesting to me that God brought them together and he said, all right, now, guys, we're going to learn how to get along with each other. Why do you suppose that is? Well, perhaps it's because we really need to be around people who see things differently than us so that we can grow. And I know that's controversial, right? But think about it for just a minute. Isn't it interesting that the Lord brought people from different backgrounds and different viewpoints and he put them together and then he told them something really mind-blowing. He said that his intention was for them to preach the gospel to every creature, to a whole bunch of people who were going to be really different than them. They were to go with the message of the gospel. Now, the reason I'm saying this is because my phone is ringing. <laughs> now, that's interesting. Let me, let me just see what I could do about that. We're going to grow together <laughs> in this moment. All the other nights, I remembered to put my phone on Do Not Disturb. It's Friday night. I'm not normally in church, and I have no idea who's calling me from there. So... All right, where was I? (laughs) So the Lord takes people and he puts us together in an assembly and his intention is that we're going to grow together. We're not always going to see everything exactly the same way. We're not always, in fact, if we look around the auditorium tonight, we've got people coming from all sorts of different backgrounds and and the different places, and you've got different strengths and weaknesses, and God puts us together in a body, and he says, my goal is for you to become unified in Christ. What is that going to take? Well, according to Philippians chapter 2, that's going to take all of us adopting the mind of Christ. It's going to take all of us coming to the place where we are in submission to God's will, where we're not necessarily trying to accomplish our agenda or our purpose, but we're going to say, okay, whatever the Lord wants, that's what I want. And this is going to help us to become mature. It's going to help us to become like the Lord Jesus Christ. You cannot have that kind of maturing on your own. And the reason is this, because when you are on your own, you are always right. There's there's no one to ever call you into question. There's no one to ever challenge you on your way of thinking. You, You are absolutely right. You definitely know what you're talking about. And, and you know, what we need sometimes is for someone to search us out. We need for someone to probe a little bit and say, are, are you sure about that? Uh, why do you hold to that position? Let's, let's discuss this. That's healthy for us. We need to be challenged sometimes and we need to grow. Not only that, 
But we find that because of our unique makeup, each one of us has strengths and each one of us has weaknesses. We're not like Christ. Christ had no weaknesses and all strength. But we all have some weaknesses and we all have some strengths. And those strengths and weaknesses complement one another and it can become really important in a church to learn how to deal with another person's weaknesses and for them to learn to deal with your weaknesses. All of this is really helpful in becoming like Jesus Christ. In fact, much of the mind of Christ that's described in Philippians chapter 2 is learning to serve others. It's learning to have the mind of a servant and learning to, if you want to put it this way, be tolerant of others or to be patient with other people, to be long-suffering. These are all areas of character where we all are lacking and where we need to grow. And God puts us within a church body so that we can grow in these ways. Fourth of all, we find that fellowship really yields spiritual stability. Verse 14 says this, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men, cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. I'd like to take more time to really dig into verse 14, but for the sake of time, let me point out just a couple of things. Naturally, in and of ourselves, we tend to be very unstable. We tend to be easily convinced of things that are not so. Uh, We're like children, especially when you first get saved, you're like a child. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but children can be easily convinced of just about anything. If you are sincere enough and you are convincing enough, you could convince a child to believe almost anything that you make up, any story that you make up, because they're very trusting. Now, as you get older, you become more cynical, less believing. In fact, you probably get to the point where you don't believe anybody about anything because you're pretty sure everybody is lying which is how most of us feel, I think, today in in this world in which we live. We pretty much think everybody is lying to us. We're very skeptical, very cynical. But now we need to get to the place where doctrinally what we believe, we are very stable, where we're not being blown around by the wind. Every time something comes along and we say, oh, that sounds nice. Oh, let's go after that. Oh, cool. Let's, Let's pursue after that. We want to have some stability. Now, where does that happen? Well, that happens within a New Testament assembly. It's, a, it's an interesting thing. You know, somebody gets saved, and they're trying to follow the Lord, and, and they're studying their Bible, and they're growing in the Lord, and they come across somebody on the Internet teaching something, and it sounds really good, and they come running into church to tell a brother or sister about it. Oh, look what I found. Look what I heard. And their brother or sister says, uh, hold on a second. Let's talk about that. Maybe let's come over and talk to pastor about that. Let's see if he's got any opinions on that subject. And, and let's sit down and see what the scripture says. And, and then some more mature believers can say, well, here's what the Bible says. And here's where the scripture contradicts that. And let's think about this carefully. And then that person can say, oh, okay, I need to step back from this. Because there's a lot of people out there on the airwaves, on the internet, who are very convincing. And they're, they're promoting their personal way of looking at things. But within the body, there's some safety. There's some mature believers. There's some teachers to be able to address some of those things. So it really yields spiritual stability. We need that kind of stability 
in our lives, especially in this day and age in which we are living. There is so much deception that is out there. And we need to encourage one another and lift up one another's hands and hold one another accountable to the truth, to sound doctrine. Finally, the benefit of fellowship is this. It allows us to do the work of the Lord. Do you know tonight that God's intention is for all New Testament ministry to take place through and under the authority of the New Testament church? This is where we have the opportunity to serve God and to honor Him, and He gifts us, He brings us into the assembly, and He gives us spiritual gifts so that we, in turn, can minister to others. Because here's God's intention. As I am growing in the Lord, as I'm becoming more like Christ, now He's going to bring me alongside within the assembly. He may bring me alongside someone who's a little more mature, who's going to help me, who's going to challenge me, encourage me, and help me. He's maybe going to bring me alongside someone who is a little bit uh, newer to the faith, and they're learning some things, and I'm going to be able to pour my life into them. I'm going to be able to share with them what God is doing. Iron is going to sharpen iron. I'm going to be able to share with others what God is doing in my life. They're going to share with me what God is doing in their life, and we're going to be involved in the work of the Lord together. The work of the Lord in this day and age involves evangelism, reaching others with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it also involves edification or exhortation, which is the building up of those who have been evangelized. It is teaching them all things whatsoever the Lord has commanded us. And this is a part of the Great Commission. This is the work that God is involved in. And of course, as we're involved in this work together, it brings great glory to God. Now notice the benefits of fellowship. Do you understand tonight that if you are not walking in fellowship with other believers, that you are missing out on these benefits and these blessings that God wants you to have? Now, I'm not suggesting tonight that it is impossible to grow at all without being a part of a New Testament assembly. I'm just saying that I believe you're going to be incomplete. I believe there's going to be some things that are going to be lacking, some things that are going to be missing. I I think that you're going to be prone to spiritual instability. I think that you're going to find yourself having some viewpoints that are going to be skewed from what the Scripture says, and you're going to be drawn off in some ways that you ought not to be drawn off. You see, there's a lot of benefits of fellowship that we need to consider, and that we ought to thank God for tonight. Now, let's move along, and just for a moment, let me talk about a couple things that I think are misunderstandings about fellowship. And again, here in the middle part, I don't really have a slide for you. You can jot some of these things down. A couple misunderstandings about fellowship, which are really prominent in our world today. First of all, there's the misunderstanding that it is possible for us to fellowship virtually. And, hey, listen, let's do Zoom. Let's all... Now, I'm going to tell you that after what we've gone through for the last two years, I think we would all be sick and tired of Zoom. Like, I don't want to see Zoom open on my browser again. I'm done with Zoom. But, be that as it may, some folks have gotten very comfortable with that concept, and they say, hey, it's just, it's just as valid, it's just as reasonable 
to fellowship virtually. You know, I can put a, co- a comment in there. I can let people know that I'm here. And, and it's just not the same. Amen. It's just not the same. There really is no way to have fellowship virtually. There is nothing like face-to-face. The scripture says that the Lord talked to Moses as a man talks to his friend. Face-to-face. There's something about being face-to-face with another person. And I don't mean FaceTime. It's better. It's a slight improvement. But it's not the same as face-to-face. So we need to be careful about thinking, well, I could just do this virtually. You know, why not? Let's have internet church. Let's just, we could gather a really big crowd and get a bunch of people together virtually. And we could do, you know, all kinds of virtual things. And that would be a lot of fun, except it's not church. Because we, we actually have to assemble. We have to be together. Second of all is the misunderstanding that church is mostly about me getting my needs met. Many people come to church, they come into the assembly, and they are thinking, I have a list of things that I want to get. I want to get, you fill in the blank. I want to get fed. I want to get friends. I want to get fellowship. I want to get connections. I want to feel comfortable. I want to be encouraged. I want, I want, I want. And I think we all understand, we all have some sense of what we hope to receive when we come to the assembly. But if we come into the assembly primarily thinking about what can I get out of this, you are very likely to be disappointed because you're probably not going to get what you hope to get right away. And actually, what you're going to find is You get by giving. You get by giving. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. But I think that's a big misunderstanding. A lot of people are looking for what are your programs? What are your what are the things that you have for my kids? You know, what do you have for me? What are what is the activity schedule like? And these sorts of things. And you can end up with a very consumer-driven approach to the assembly. Third misunderstanding is the idea, and this is actually very, very prevalent, it is enough to attend and watch others minister. So it's this idea, I come, I'm here, I sit in the pew, I'm here every service, what more do you want? Well, you're missing out on some key components of what it means to be a part of the assembly. God doesn't bring us together as an assembly so that we can have a big crowd that watches a few people do ministry. Amen. Ephesians 4 makes this clear. The function of the pastor-teacher is not to do the ministry while everyone else watches. Amen. The function of the pastor-teacher is to equip. It is to prepare, to teach, to stabilize, so that those in the congregation can go and do the work of the ministry. Amen. So we're here not not just to be ministered to, but we're here to minister. We're here to share something with others. And I'll talk more about that in just a moment as we talk about the pursuit of fellowship. 
We want to pursue after fellowship. So as I'm walking with God, I want to be making it a priority to fellowship with others, to walk with others. How can I prioritize or how can I pursue after fellowship with other believers? If I need this so much, if this is so important for my life, what are some practical things that I can do? All right, real quickly, I have five suggestions for you. They're, they're, not, they're not complicated. Most of them you're going to say, well, duh, obviously, Pastor, that seems to be so clear. But unfortunately, these things aren't always clear, especially when our fellowship with God gets lacking and the enemy starts whispering in our ear. He goes to work in these areas trying to separate us from the assembly. And one of the reasons he does that is because the devil knows that a lone sheep is easy prey. He wants to get you separated from the assembly. He wants to get you peeled off by yourself because you're easy pickings there for his temptations. So listen to these things. Take them to heart. First of all, it's a no-brainer, isn't it? Be faithful to attend. If you're a part of the assembly, you should attend. You should be here. It's an important priority. Hebrews 10.25 is very clear. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. That kind of sounds to me like the closer we get to the return of the Lord, the more careful we ought to be to to not miss the assembly. And he uses the word forsake, because the word forsake means to willfully choose to turn aside from it. It means to put it aside and not seek after it. We need to be really careful about our attendance in the assembly. We need to be present. Now, I recognize that there are things which can providentially hinder someone from being able to attend. I recognize that there's sickness and there's, uh, there's things that afflict people and sometimes uh, work schedules can interfere and these sorts of things. But what concerns me, and, and as a pastor I see this happening sometimes, what concerns me is when I see a member of the assembly starting to pull back from the assembly and pull back from the assembly and you, you try to, to speak and say, hey, what's going on? Is something Everything's fine. You know, we just got this, got that. Everything's fine. Everything's going good. The problem is that the more someone pulls back from the assembly, it's just a matter of time until they're not in the assembly anymore. And so be careful. You say, well, pastor, you know, I've studied the New Testament and I, I just don't see where, you know, I know we have Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night services, but life is busy. We've got a lot going on and, and I just don't see where God expects us to be there. I think once a week is enough. Okay. I mean, that's between you and God. You decide what you think the Lord wants you to do, but I'm going to tell you that I don't think it's enough. And I think you're going to find that your spiritual life is going to get out of balance. And you're going to miss out on a lot of teaching. It's amazing to me how often people will come and they'll say, Hey, I need some help in this area. You know, can you help us with our family? Can you help us with this, this situation? Can you give us some counsel about that? Oh, yeah. You know, I was actually preaching about that. I preached a whole series on it Wednesday nights and I didn't see you. And so, you know, here's the thing. Again... 
there's an opportunity to grow, but is it, is it tough to attend? Yeah. Yeah, I think we all have busy lives. Here we are on Friday night of a one-week meeting, and aren't you glad we're not doing this next week? Because it's been a long week. We're tired. There's a lot that's going on, and, and we couldn't sustain this schedule. But at the same time, has God used this week? Has he helped us? So when we attend, we get the benefit of those things. And we try to balance that. So be faithful to attend. It's a small thing, but be present. If you're not present, you miss out on things that are going on. And again, I'm understanding of the fact that sometimes people are providentially hindered. Sometimes for long seasons as a church, we should be aware of the fact that we have shut-ins and we have people who are members who cannot be here, who need to be ministered to, and we need to be paying attention to those things to try to remind them that we love them and care about them. Uh, uh, Second of all, not third yet, if I'm going to pursue after fellowship, I should come with the purpose of meeting the needs of others. When I come to the assembly, I'm coming, or I should come, thinking about what I can give, not what I can get. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 says, As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If you're going to be a good steward of God's grace to you, if God has been good in giving good gifts to you, then you want to be good to minister that grace to others as well. Do you know, every time you come into this assembly... God has given you some grace and some gifts that you could minister to another person. And what you'll find is that in the midst of ministering grace to other people, ministering God's goodness to you, to someone else, you are going to end up receiving more of God's goodness for yourself. But if you come saying, where's where's the people who are going to meet my needs? Where's the people who are going to do stuff for me? Where's the people who are going to make me feel welcome? Where's the people who are going to go out of their way? Well, you're probably going to be disappointed. But if you make yourself a committee of one to be the one who welcomes, the one who goes out of your way, the one who ministers grace, you'll find an endless supply of people who need ministry, and in return, you'll end up being blessed yourself. Now... I regard and understand and I, and I acknowledge that there are times when every one of us comes to the assembly needing something. We need to hear from God. We need some encouragement. We need some help from the Lord. It's okay to acknowledge that you have some needs in your life, but don't come thinking, how am I going to get filled up? Come instead looking to minister to others and you might be surprised how much you leave filled up yourself. Third of all, be attentive to the scriptural teaching. So pay attention to the teaching, whether it's here or another church that you're at or attending. Listen to the teaching. Compare scripture with scripture. Don't ever take my word for it. Take God's word for it. Make sure that it's biblical. Make sure that it's true. And say, okay, I can see that in the scripture. But when you know that it's the scripture and you know that it's what God says, be attentive to it. It's very easy for us as American Christians who get a lot of teaching, a lot of scriptural 
advice and counsel and doctrine to get to the place where we kind of go, la-di-la-di-la-di-la, this is normal, this is how it is, this is, this is just the way that it, it's not the way that it is, folks. It's not the way that it is. And we, we need to be attentive. We can even be guilty of checking out during the times of teaching and preaching and forgetting to pay attention, and that's going to be uh, not good for us. James 1.22 says, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. As we hear the word of God, let's make sure that we're putting it into practice. Make sure that we're pursuing after being uh, those who apply the word of God. Let's think forth of all about this. In order to pursue fellowship, we need to seek accountability. We need to seek accountability. And accountability can only really take place as we are open with one another. Uh, Hebrews 3.13 says, But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. You know, it's possible for you to be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. It's possible for you to be deceived. That's why we need brothers and sisters in Christ to come alongside and challenge us and say, Hey, are you sure that's scriptural? Uh, Listen, what's going on in your life? I'm getting concerned about some things. Can I pray for you? What, what's happening? Are you, are you walking with the Lord? Now, we don't naturally like that. We don't like people probing or asking questions. And I'm not suggesting that we go around with, with magnifying glasses and microscopes examining everyone else's life. But we do need to exhort one another. We need that exhortation. And we ought to seek out accountability. Be real with one another. Share what God is doing in your life both the ups and the downs, and be accountable to one another. Fifth of all, involve yourself in scriptural fellowship. Now, I know we're talking about the pursuit of fellowship, and you say, well, duh, involve yourself in scriptural fellowship. Yes. Okay, here's what I mean by that. We've got to work. Every one of us have to work at getting beyond just the the small talk. Beyond that, now there's there's nothing wrong with small talk in and of itself, but we need to get past small talk and get to the things that really matter. We we have to get past the weather and our favorite sports team and what's going on in the world and all this sort of stuff, and we have to get down to what's going on in your life, what's going on in my life. Can I pray with you? What is God teaching you? How are you growing? These sorts of things are what compose or comprise scriptural fellowship. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. We have a bond in Christ that goes far beyond any sort of earthly factors that we might consider. Being joint heirs with Christ And then God has brought us and he's put us into this assembly and he's made us members here together. He's joined us to this assembly. So take advantage of the opportunities to involve yourself in scriptural fellowship. Get alongside some other folks. Get to know them. Share with them what God is doing in your life and listen to what God is doing in their life. Pray together. Share what God is teaching you from his word. Involve yourself in scriptural fellowship and it will make a difference in your life. If God is teaching you and if you're walking with God, he's teaching you, his intention is for you to share what you have learned. 
this starts with the truth of the gospel. If you know the gospel, if you have been saved, you have the good news of Jesus Christ, that is a treasure that has been placed in your possession, and God expects you to share that with other people. Then as you walk with God and you learn who he is, and you begin to understand what it is to know him and to fellowship with him and to obey him and to worship him, then God's intention is for you to share that with others, to help them to grow, to help them to develop the same sorts of priorities in their life. And this is what happens within a body. The teaching takes place not just from the pulpit or the podium in the classroom, The teaching takes place from every one of our lives as we exhort one another daily to grow into the image of Jesus Christ. And I've said all this to say it is quite impossible to grow in the way that God has intended without being a part of a New Testament church. Now, some questions for you to reflect on as we go from here. First of all, am I faithful to the assembly except when providentially hindered? Do I make the assembly a priority in my life? Do I take the time and do I say, okay, the assembly is important. We're going to put this at a place of high priority. We want to make sure that we're going to be present. Um, Can I say to you, you, if you have children, your children are paying attention to your priorities. If you hope that your children will make church a priority, the assembly a priority one day. They will, they will most likely not make it a priority if you do not make it a priority. And it's not a guarantee that they will, but you ought to make it a priority if you hope that your children will make it a priority. But for yourself as well and for the rest of the assembly, do I, am I faithful? Second question, how can I be more proactive about meeting the needs of others when I come to the assembly? Is there something that I can do? Is there a change that I can make? Third, what is a practical way that I can enter into true fellowship by sharing with others what the Lord is teaching me? Is there some way that I can be involved in this? Um, I will suggest that our, our uh, Bible discovery tables, our, our Sunday school tables are a great venue to be able to get to know people in a smaller setting and share with others what God is doing in your life. Or I'm just throwing that in there as an advertisement. Is there something that I can do to increase the benefit that I can receive from the teaching and preaching in the assembly? Maybe, maybe you need to handle it differently. Is there some way that you can try to be more of a doer of the word? So meditate on these questions and try to come up with some answers and what God would have you to do. And I trust that as each of us are walking with God and seeking to grow into the image of Christ, that collectively, as a church, God is going to strengthen us. He's going to give us vitality within our church congregation that comes from the personal vitality that each one of us are experiencing in our personal walk with God.